Welcome to the She Lives Fearless podcast. This is Holly Newton, and I am your host. The mission and vision of She Lives Fearless is to encourage and equip you to pursue God fiercely and to live life fearless. You know, when we take time to rest in the Lord and to receive His promises, we can rise up in our everyday circumstances with confidence, with boldness, with courage, strength, and without fear, because we know the one who we can depend on and who gives us strength. All of our conversations here on the podcast are geared to doing just that, encouraging you and equipping you in the promises and truths of God. Thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to She Lives Fearless. I'm your host, Holly Newton, and I'm so excited to have Lisa Apello today. Lisa just released a book in April called Life Can Be Good Again. Um, Lisa, we are so excited to have you on today and talk about your book. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. I'm excited to be with you and to um, see your new ministry being birthed. Yes, well, it's exciting times around here. We have rebranded, new name, new look for a new season, and um, it's just an honor to have you as one of our first guests under our new name and in mandate. So, thank you, thank you, well, Lisa. Um, let's just dig in. Um, your family went through a tragic loss with the unexpected death of your husband Dan. Would you be willing to share that story with us? Sure. So um, it was a very normal Friday or what I thought was a normal Friday. It was actually Father's Day weekend. And um, we had a big weekend. I had gone to bed early the, the night before and he'd stayed and done some work for his mom on the computer and said, I'll, I'll you know, be in there in a few minutes. And that was, and I was like, good night. And that was, you know, the last words that we said, because the next morning I woke up, it was still dark and I was still a you know, I woke up to his funny breathing, but I was not awake enough to even open my eyes. And I just reached my arm over and nudged him, thinking that he was having a nightmare, and just nudged him so that he would turn over. Um, but then as I became more awake to his breathing, because it continued, I realized that, you know, he hadn't turned over. And I jumped out of bed, I flipped on the overhead light, and I could see that something was very wrong. And so I just went into crisis management mode. Um, you know, I just, my kids actually, my, my big kids were all of them actually were on sleeping bags outside of our family, outside of my bedroom. And so they all heard me crying out to him and came in and our four-year-old had crawled in between us. She always did that every night. And so there she was right in the midst of this and um, just began saying, you know, Rachel, take up the little ones upstairs, you know, Nick, call 911, Seth, go down and get our fireman neighbor. And the operator began to walk me through uh, CPR. And um, I was not even two rounds in when the paramedics were there. So that was a very good sign to me because they're right outside of our neighborhood. I thought, okay, they've gotten here quick. They're going to be able to take care of him. And he's in good hands now. And they shushed me out of the room. I remember just pacing in the living room outside of our bedroom, just um, the kids are all upstairs by this time, just crying out audibly to God, like, Lord, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. And they took him by ambulance to the hospital. Um, and I followed, um, went upstairs to see my kids and pray with them. And, 
you know, do what I could, but um, followed the ambulance to the hospital. And it was there not long after I got there where they called me into that room that you never want to go into. It was kind of a counseling room and said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. And so that was it, like one night's sleep and life just shattered from nowhere. There were no signs. There were no symptoms. I had actually been with him for four days on one of his business trips, which was super, super rare, but what a gift. And um, to know that I had been with him and I had not seen anything, um, but then for this just to come from nowhere. Wow. That is... Um... I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, Um, but you're a living testimony of God giving his strength and walking us through, you know, the, the valley of the shadow of death, like you're, you're living proof of this. Yeah. Um, I'm curious for those that haven't got to pick up your book yet. um, How long ago was this? So this was 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. which, and when I say that, it's like, it seems like such a long time ago. And it also seems like not that long ago. I could, I could tell you probably every detail of me giving him CPR. I could tell you every detail of that morning um, because it seared in. I mean, even as I was giving him CPR, I was thinking to myself, you know, I, you know, part of me was in the moment giving him CPR and part of me was watching this saying, I am not giving CPR to the man who I just kissed goodnight. And I remember saying to him, like, I love you. We love you. Because I thought if he like, is his spirit in this room? Is he going to, you know, I didn't know. And I thought if his spirit is in this room, if he's hovering between earth and heaven, and the last thing he hears is, I love you. I want him to know. Um, But yeah, 10 years ago, and um, a lot of life has happened, and it's almost like it was just last week. Yeah, yeah. I understand that Um, on a personal level. Can I ask you um, why you chose to write this book? Yes, that's that's a great question. It was nowhere on my radar or agenda. I mean, I wanted to, in those early weeks and months, I wanted to survive. And I wanted to, I wanted my kids to survive. And I wanted really to, I wondered if I would ever smile again, or if I would ever feel that joy, just that, that kind of bubbles up in the moment, you know, where you know that you're just capturing this, this, um, special moment because life life felt awful and it felt like everything I'd wanted, everything we'd worked on, everything that I had ever um, wanted out of life was behind me. And um, so I was in really just trying to put feet to floor for my kids and try to make sure that they grieved healthy in a healthy way so that it wouldn't come back on them later and um, trying to, you know, grapple with all the decisions and the single parenting and all of that. But about three years into my grief, um, it was actually three years because God had given me a, a certain passage. And at three years, I was like, okay, Lisa, it's time to, you know, put your big girl pants on. And I had been a an attorney. So I was like, you know what? Long-term, 
for the you know financial safety of my family, I'm going to go back to law. I'll practice it part time. I can do that. So, but I had retired, and um, so I had to hire my daughter to be me in the house, and um, and I was studying for the bar exam again, and it was all coming back to me. I was like, oh, this is great. I love this. The law doesn't change. This is exciting that I still remember this stuff. But God was also like planting the seed in me, and. I, you know, it was not audible. It was a God nudge to write. And I just thought that just seems unreasonable. But when, you know, in the course of studying, I just set that aside. I could see that God was calling me to write. I didn't know what that looked like. I thought I would freelance. Um, and I just remember getting face down on my carpet and saying, if this is what you want, I, this does not seem reasonable but I trust you. And, you know, I do remember being that girl who was a new widow in new loss, not, and just wanting to know one other person who was a few steps ahead, who could reach back and say, I have walked this, I have walked where you are, and this is the way, let me walk with you in this. I wanted to see, I knew God would be faithful, but I wanted to see it on flesh and bone. And so that's really what this book is. I love that because it is, you know, it is so important when we're going through trials and when we're going through changes and seasons to know that someone else has gone before us, right? And, and how encouraging. Well, I know that this has been a big sacrifice. Writing a book is not for the faint of heart. And you touch on, you know, a lot of very personal things in this book. Um, okay, it's titled Life Can Be Good Again. That's a big promise, especially for someone who's grieving. Yeah. Can you share what this means to you? Yes. So this is not a Band-Aid that we just put over those raw gaping wounds and say, just move along and, you know, you'll be okay. The book um, goes into hard emotions and hard questions because there is no way forward unless we go through them. We can't, we can't shortcut that. We can't fast forward through it. We have to walk that excruciating, physically painful, too hard for us grief. Um, but I, but life can be good again is a big promise. And I wanted to know that I wouldn't just survive this, but that I would, I would um, find abundance again, that I would love waking up, that I would have new plans and new dreams. And it was so far from me. I couldn't even imagine the future. And I really didn't want it because the person I loved wasn't in the future. But I think if I had known that that's what I was working toward, that there was a hope out there that if I would do this excruciating work of grief, that I would begin to wake up on mornings and say, you know what? I'm looking forward to this day. And you know what? Grief has softened a little bit. And it's not so weighty right now to carry. And I'm making a new bucket list that um that I it would have been hope it would have been encouraging for me to move forward. That's really incredible. <laughs> like you're a woman of incredible strength. Um to do that and and you're you're it's not only you're not only walking through this by yourself but you're walking your children through this journey and so so inspiring lisa just incredibly inspiring um your message isn't just for those who are grieving a loved one though who else can share in this message of hope that you write about in the book Yes, there are a lot of ways that a life can shatter. 
And, you know, it could be your spouse has walked out and said, I never loved you. Or it could be a chronic diagnosis that really changes life as you knew it. And it's never going to go back to the way it was. It could be a miscarriage or a child loss, you know, kind of the unthinkable of, um, of bearing a child. It could be even a, I have a good friend whose uh, business that she and her husband put their sweat and their time and their heart into, and somebody they should have been able to trust, um, something happened and they lost the business and it changed so much of their life as they knew it. There was definitely a shattering loss and a grief. And I think, you know, one thing that Holly, I think that's really healthy for us is to call these other things grief. I think we so often isolate grief to the loss of a, of a person when grief can come when there's a living person that, um, and the relationship is gone or we're watching that person do destructive things and it, and it um, creates grief. There can be grief when there's loss of a dream. Like we have prayed and prayed for something and it has never come about. And it was a good and godly thing to pray for. There's a lot of ways that we can encounter grief and shattering loss. And those stories are in the book. This is not just about being a widow. Yeah, I love that because we do face hard things in this life. Um, we do. <laughs> and Jesus is the only answer. And so I love that. Um, you know, this labor and this book that you have, um, the labor you've put into it across all of this time and recounting the stories can apply to anyone who, who questions, is my life ever going to be good? And am I ever going to get to the other side? Because I know most people at some point in their life face things where they ask that question. Yeah. You know, the okay, so the name of the podcast is She Lives Fearless. It's the name of the community and ministry that I lead. Um, I want to ask you about unthinkable loss. When it happens, fear creeps in. So how can we move forward when things like this happen without fear? Yes, fear is such a huge part of loss and grief. And I never would have known that before. But you know, when when the um something that seems far-fetched actually happens and you become that statistic that always happened to other people, it's like it opens the door because now other things could happen as well. They don't seem so far-fetched. And then you know for us, I mean they were very real fears. They weren't far-fetched. We were a single income family and that income was gone. I wondered how in the world God was going to provide for my kids, I'm like looking at them, you know, four years old up to 19, getting them grown and through college. How was, how was God going to do this? Um, I feared for my kids. I really was concerned that they would act out somehow in their grief. Um, and I was concerned for their health. You know, their dad had died at 46 and I was concerned what that meant for their future. And so these were not far-fetched fears. Um, and yet, it was a vice grip on me. I was not able to, to make decisions. I was parenting out of fear. And I realized I cannot, like I am paralyzed. And I have got to get a grip on this fear because it has just got, a, it's clenching me. And so, a good friend who has walked through a, a very different circumstance, she has a chronic diagnosis that is progressive. And she'd been a couple decades into it already, said, um, gave me the verse, 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says that we're to take all thoughts captive to the truth of Christ. 
And so this became very practical for me. So I'm like, I am a very super practical person. And this was not just a post-it note that I put on my mirror. This was something that I had to put into practice. And so what I would do is kind of three steps. The first thing is whenever a fear came, and it was all the time at first, I would call out the lie under the fear because all fear is driven by a lie. And so take my fear for um, take my fear for our finances that you know that income was gone. The fear was the lie was that God wouldn't provide for us in this season. You know, he had done it all the times before when we were a two income family and then a one income family through even some some financial, you know, stretches and difficulties he had provided. But so that was a lie that he wouldn't do it now. And then the second thing is to take that lie captive. And so I would literally imagine it kind of being lassoed in my mind and pulled out of my thoughts. And then the third step to replace it with the truth of Christ. And so what is that? That's either the character of God or a promise of God. And so I would, for instance, in that situation of fearing about our finances, well, God says all through scripture, all through scripture that he will provide every need. And very specifically, I mean, he says it for the widow, but he says very specifically in Philippians 4.19 that God, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so I couldn't see it yet, but I just had to consistently like replace that lie with the truth. And it became this practice. And at first it was very cumbersome, you know, but the more I did it, the less that fear had a hold on me and the less I had to do it because fear just wasn't such a part of my decisions or my parenting. Yeah, that's great advice, Lisa. And, and it's good. It, it's solid. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. And um, you're even speaking to my heart today. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, we have to take the practical along with the biblical. And, and there are things we have to do, right, to come out of this pit um, as we take hold of the Father's hand, right? We have yes. to replace those lies with truth. We have to, it's a choice. And even when we don't feel like, I'm sure there's days you didn't feel like replacing those lies with truth, right? Well, I didn't see it. I mean, I just had, it was just, it was a faith. It was an act of faith just to replace it with the truth, right? Because we don't know how it's going to um, pan out. No, but that's faith. You just, that's believe. faith. And you believe his promises are yes and amen and they're true. And that's how we, that's how we keep moving forward. And, and until we get to heaven, God will always call us to those places of faith where we have to trust him. Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. It is a lifelong journey. <laughs> um. You know, I was sharing with you a little bit before we started um, that my daughter had a son, Amos. Um, a lot of our listeners have heard her story um, if they've been with us for a little bit. Um, and he lived five full months in the NICU. He lived out his house in five full months. Uh, it was one of those things that you think will never happen to your family, um, that that's a statistic. Um, it was not genetic or passed on it was just what happened and in my years of living that was the first time um that you know we were on the receiving end of being comforted 
you know, through this grief and through this loss. And, and I realized for the first time, um, because I hadn't had to walk through something like this before, that there are, there are ways that we should minister and, and care for those who are going through grief. And then and, and there's some ways that aren't so helpful, but that might just make sense to us. So that's something that's really been in my heart these last couple of years. He passed away um, a couple of years ago. And so when I know people that experience loss, I, I really step back now and think, how could they best be supported? You know, and so I want to ask you, um, you know, you lost your husband, your children lost their father. Based on your experience, how can we best support those who grieve alongside of us? Yeah, I am so sorry for that loss. As you were describing it, my, my, I kind of, my stomach dropped. Um, and, you know, as, as you asked that question, I thought, you know, I've never been through that. How would I reach out to somebody who's lost, whose child is in the NICU for five months? And then they stand beside a very tiny casket, you know. Um, and most of us won't, we won't always have walked through the circumstances that others are going through, but it doesn't preclude us from showing up well. I don't think we have to have experienced it to be able to show up. And here's a couple of things that I learned. And I learned this from friends who did this so well. Um, the first is that we can't say anything that is going to fix it. We can't even do anything that's going to fix the pain. And so just to take our, that burden off of ourselves, we don't have to come up with the perfect words. We can just uh, say things like, um, how can I pray for you today? Or can I come over Thursday and get your laundry and bring it back to you? Can I take your little one for a play day so you can have a day, you know, um, show up very practically for them and don't say, call me when you need me because nobody is going to do that. Offer a couple choices. Can I bring you dinner Tuesday or Thursday? Would you rather have it frozen and you can pull it out when you want? You know, Give them choices. But, and then as far as um, saying things, I think that so often we want to say things that, that, uh, try to justify the pain or explain it in some way, like God needed another angel, or he must have known you were strong enough for this, or everything happens for a reason. Um, even things that are true and biblical, like everything happens for a reason. Yes, but there is a time in raw, gaping pain that we just need to sit with that person in the pain instead of shush them forward through it and wrap it up with a bow. So, um, I think that just saying to them, I love you, I am here with you, um, and, and showing up to help is the best we can do. You know, a friend of mine who did this so well says, and she's trained her kids to do it, says that she prays and asks God how to help, and then she watches for God to show that show her that and it can be sometimes she says she thinks it's like a silly thing and it's never big enough you know you think this is overwhelming need how's my one little thing gonna help but it's always god showing her just a very particular way that she can minister or show up to that person mm, that's so good that's so good and again great practical wisdom and advice and you're right when someone is going through it they don't know how to tell you how to help them, <laughs> you know, and, and that honestly, like, uh, 
in my earlier years, that was the only thing I knew to ask, but that was totally wrong, totally off. We learn, I know. Helpful. So um, I agree. And that's some of what we learned going through our season as well. Well, okay. You say that when we suffer a loss, God is not writing a plan B. Instead, he's leading us toward chapter two. I love that. So can you explain this idea? This was so huge. This is really pivotal for me because I think for so long I thought, okay, you know, I will live this out. I will live out the second choice, you know, my second best of what I wanted and I'll make the most of it. Um, And one day in my car, in my minivan, I was alone kind of doing my quiet time with the Lord and I just kind of bubbled to the top of my thoughts. I don't like my life. And, um, on the heels of that came this, these thoughts, and that is um, that even though it's unexpected for me, that God had allowed it, and as such, He had not like turned His head or overlooked something. This was not a plan B, that God does not do plan Bs, and that as much as I never saw it coming, it was an intentional chapter two for us. And so, it had as much joy and as much abundance and as much good as the years before, you know, there's that pit, there's that that fulcrum of life before, for instance, for your daughter, life before Amos, you know, and life after Amos. And we tend to think that everything good came before. But um, to know that that this chapter was allowed and could be filled with as much good and joy. And the thing is, is it didn't immediately like make me feel better. It's not like all my heart, you know, all my pain was gone. And I was like, oh, I feel all better now. But what it did do was align me to the truth that I was not living out the leftovers of the life I wanted until my emotions and my heart caught up with it. Mm, that is good. Everybody needs to get a copy of this book. <laughs> that, that is um, amazing perspective. Um, and a term I haven't heard before, moving toward chapter two, it's not a plan B. Mm-hmm. Lisa, where can people connect with you and pick up their copy of Life Can Be Good Again? Because everybody needs to run and get it right now if they haven't. <laughs> I would love to connect with you. Um, the best place is my site, which is lisaapolo.com. It's two P's, one L. And you, there's information on the book there. There's a book page. Um, all my socials are tagged there. So I have some free resources there. If anybody's walking through any kind of grief or loss, there's a lot there. But um, I would love to connect with them there. Wonderful. Lisa, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. And listeners, be sure and check out Lisa on her site. The links will be in the show notes. Um, she is an executive te- on the executive team for Compel with Proverbs 31 Ministries. Lisa is a single mom of seven. She's passionate about rich Bible teaching, and she is the author of Life Can Be Good Again. So be sure and follow her and check her out. And as always, we invite you to subscribe and share this podcast so others can find us. Um, we're committed to sharing um, God's truths and encouraging you in your journey to rest in him, to receive his promises and to rise up in his plans for your life. Until next time, this is Holly with She Lives Fearless. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We are here for you. 
You can find me super easy at Holly A. Newton on Instagram and Holly Newton Official on Facebook. I'd love to connect with you and hear how the show is encouraging you. And let's help others find the show so that they can also be encouraged in their purpose and passions. There's a couple of ways you can do that. One by subscribing and another is by rating and reviewing the show wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And two, you can even screenshot, share in your stories, text it to your friends and family. And be sure to tag me at Holly A. Newton on the socials so we can connect.